Good morning, Columbia Presbyterian Church. My name is Trevor Allen. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at Cola Prez. Uh, we're going to be taking a little detour from the book of Acts, and we're going to be opening it up to everyone's favorite book of the entire Bible, Leviticus. So if you would, uh, Leviticus is in the Old Testament. It is the third book in, uh, toward the beginning there. So I'm going to be reading from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Oh, before, I just heard a couple Bibles crack open there for the first time, hint Leviticus, so this may be, you might want to bookmark it. Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard, You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among the people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for the hearing of your word. We thank you that you have recorded your mighty acts of salvation throughout the ages for us to remember. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us not only as mighty creator, but also as loving savior. I would ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would so move in our hearts to grow us in faith, to trust you more deeply, and I would ask that you lead us into sweet repentance. Show us our hearts where we do not love you, where we do not care for each other as we should, but Lord, do that so that we may love and care for each other as you've called us to. Jesus, I pray these things, that your church would grow in maturity and grace for your glory and for our good. Amen. Now, Leviticus, I am going to make an audacious claim. Are you ready for it? The book of Leviticus is not boring. Uh, the gauntlet has been thrown, and you may disagree with me. You may be one of those that uh, have tried to read through, or you have read through, and you think, well, the rules and the intricacies and the repeated nature of the book, it, keeps it, it makes it really hard for me to track with it. Uh, or you may be thinking, it's such a strange book. There are so many sacrifices and festivals and, you know, there are blood ends up on people's big toes and ears and all these things. And you know what? You're right. 
there are aspects of the book of Leviticus that can be obscured to us as modern readers. There are things about Leviticus that can feel monotonous at times. But I can assure you, church, that this book has got a specific purpose, a beautiful purpose. And that purpose is this. The Lord's love infiltrates all of life. That is the purpose of Leviticus. So allow me to give you a little context without you know, falling into an Old Testament lecture, which we won't do. Uh, just a little context will help us understand this passage better. So Moses wrote this book of Leviticus to a people group that had been in slavery for 400 years. The Israelites came out of slavery, and for 400 years they were in Egyptian captivity. Now you can imagine after 400 years of being under uh, the, the gods of Egypt, the Israelites needed a crash course in what it meant to actually understand and to know this God that saved them. They needed a crash course in understanding they needed to know how to be reconciled to God. They needed to know what it means to be in true fellowship with each other. They forgot to anticipate this promised Messiah, Savior, King that was coming. They needed to know what it means to properly worship God in spirit and in truth. They needed to know that the grace of God's love would infiltrate every aspect of their lives. This is the book of Leviticus. So if you have, uh, you know, speed red, sped red, speed red, whatever, you know, like you're trying to, you're trying to bust through Leviticus because you're like, I'm trying to do the Bible in a year and this is, I got to get these 27 chapters out of the way. I would encourage you to give it another shot. I would encourage you to look at this book with new eyes, eyes to look for the infiltration of God's love to every aspect of what it means to be human. And in fact, I challenge you, you will not be able to read through this book without seeing every part of the human experience and existence talked about in this book, where we are to love God with our whole bodies and minds, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as, as God's people in the desert, they needed to hear this so long ago, and we today need to hear this as the people of God, that the Lord's love infiltrates all of life. Now, what I want to do is take that statement and make it our big idea of the day. And whenever I preach, whenever I do a sermon, I like to put it down into a big idea. So in case you fall asleep halfway through, the, the big idea is still the same as it was at the beginning. And you know you can remember this throughout the week. It's like a little gospel snack that you can wrap up and put in your back pocket and munch on throughout the week. And so that is our big idea, that the Lord's love infiltrates all of life. Now, as we're unpacking that big idea, there are three little points I want us to look at. The first point is this, that God's people need to remember the gospel. The second point is God's people need to believe the gospel. And the third point is this, that God's people need to live out the truth of the gospel. So if you're going to have all three of these points come together, they can be summed up, of course, into our big idea, right? That the Lord's love 
infiltrates all of life. So we'll just jump right into the first, uh, the first point here. God's people need to remember the gospel. Notice with me that over the scope of this passage, if you actually put eyes on this passage, you'll see that it is broken down into five little different stanzas here, verses 9 through 18. And at the end of each of these stanzas, it says, uh, I am the Lord your God, or I am the Lord. Moses records these words given to him by God that this group of people that has been listening to, serving, and working for the gods, the counterfeit gods of Egypt for 400 years, they are being recalibrated to understand who God is. He says it five times, I am the Lord. God says this. And it actually says it all throughout the book of Leviticus. So if you take up my challenge and read through, you will see throughout the entire book, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. But you know, it's kind of the question here, what is in a name? I think that we can all agree that a name is more than just simply a label to put on something. When I, when, when somebody says Trevor Allen, it's more than just, you know, Heinz ketchup on the shelf. There is more aspect to me than just a label of a name. It makes you think about things. It makes you uh, come up with experiences that we've had together, perhaps. And so here's, you know, a perfect example of what it means uh, that a name is more than something than just a label. Let's say that you're walking down the street and this person comes up to you and uh, they say, hey, you should buy a red car. Also, I don't think that you should wear wool socks on Wednesdays and good job with the flossing, keep it up. I am Greg. And you're just like, (laughs) and then Greg just like mysteriously disappears. That would be, you know, you may be thinking, you know, Greg, that's right. Like you've got some good points there, uh, But man, that was strange. So you would not be inclined, though, to shape your life after Greg. Because if there's a cold Wednesday and you want to put wool socks on, you're not going to think, oh, I'm not going to do this because Greg told me not to. You won't be formed and shaped by a stranger. And in fact, God here is no stranger to this people Israel. So when he tells them things, when he calls them to live a certain way, he's actually doing this in a place of intimacy with them. When he says, I am the Lord, he is not a stranger, but he knows this people so intimately. So let me show you how intimately. If you look at our passage you'll notice that most translations will have LORD in all caps, capital L-O-R-D. You know, when that occurs in the Old Testament, that is actually God's covenant name. That is his name, Yahweh. And if you look in Exodus 3, 13 through 15, I'm cheating, I have it on my notes here, but it's in Exodus 3, 13 through 15, Moses recounts this experience that he had with God. And this shows the intimacy and the reality and the relationship that God has with this people. Moses writes, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I am that I am. That is God's covenant name that he has given to the Hebrew people. Yahweh is his name. It is this verb, this ever-existing, always eternal, never-created, sovereign name that he gives to the people to remember forever. It is this, this name that is given, has accompanied with salvation. The name is tied to salvation. And when there are stipulations given with salvation, God is saying, I'm doing this because I love you, because I care for you, and because I have called you to live in this certain way. He makes this explicit connection because God has the power. Yahweh has the power to save. So when we hear these commandments, it's not like Greg hitting us up with the wool socks and the red car. It is Yahweh coming to us, sharing with the people, this is how you ought to live. Yahweh says, I have created everything. Yahweh is the one that has rescued the Israelites. Yahweh has defeated the enemies of his people. Yahweh is the one who is making promises. He is the one who is keeping promises. And he is the one that is giving Moses these stipulations to live by. Yahweh reminds the Israelites that he has brought them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And not because of anything that they have done. God was not looking at the Israelites saying, I need to get these people because they will be the most productive, organized, efficient people that will get the gospel out. Rather, he calls Israel because he's done so by his grace and not not out of anything that they have done. So when God says, I am the Lord, When God says, I am Yahweh, he is very intentional and he forces the people to remember. He says it five times in our passage. Do this, do this, I am Yahweh. You could even say that the Lord's love infiltrates all of life. And God's people need to remember this good news about their good God. But you know, it's not always about remembering, is it? Uh, There are many things that I remember and don't necessarily believe or trust. We actually have to believe this as Christians. We actually have to trust that our lives will be shaped by the truth of the gospel. So it's, we remember the gospel, but then our second point is that we believe the gospel as God's people. In our passage, verses 9 through 16 have to do with this external obedience. And this is how we conduct ourselves in life and with each other. And we'll bring that up in a minute, but I really want us to focus on verses 17 and 18. This cuts to the heart of the matter. This is where our belief and our trust comes in. I'll read it for us. It says this, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I wish I could stand up here and I wish I could tell all of you that I have this immense capacity and this beautiful capability to love my neighbors, to love my family, to love my friends, to love my church, to love my enemies perfectly, but I can't. People are very hard to love at times. So I want you to think for a moment of a difficult person in your life. Put a picture of this person in your mind, or if they're here today, you can look at them. Don't do that. (laughs) It is sometimes easier, as you're picturing this person, it is sometimes easier to just not hate that person than it is to actually love that person. I know at times I feel like I'm being loving when uh, I feel the need to go tell someone off. And maybe you feel this way too, where it's like this person is so this way, I just need to tell them everything. They need to get it. They they deserve what's coming to them. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, you feel this desire to talk trash behind their back. And you think, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to do that either. Or maybe you're one of those that, like me in multiple times of my life where I sit close to the warm fire of feeling this deep-seated anger, this bitterness, this frustration, and this contempt for someone, but I don't verbalize it. Listen to this radical concept, church. The word love here in verses 17 and 18, it's the Hebrew word that means to actively care for and seek the good of your neighbor. So to make it very plain, if you are not actively hating someone or you are not working towards someone's demise actively, that does not mean that you are loving that person. If you are not actively hating someone, if you are not actively working toward their demise, if you can say, I'm not checking the box of hate here, that does not mean that you are loving that person. This passage calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if you remember our first point, God's people need to remember the gospel. And the second point was God's people need to believe the gospel. We don't just intellectually assent to the syllogism of the gospel. We believe it. We trust it. We bank our lives on the fact that the gospel, this good news from Yahweh is true and we are formed by it. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the apostle Paul writes this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We were enemies of God. Humanity, all the way from Adam and Eve to the youngest among us, we have rebelled against Yahweh, the creator of the entire universe. We have not loved him perfectly, and we have not loved each other perfectly. Yet Yahweh in this this love, remember back to the Hebrew definition of love, Yahweh came to humanity. He became a man just like us. He came to love us and he perfectly fulfilled this obedience of loving God and loving other people. 
And he did this externally, but even more difficult, he did this internally. Yahweh, man incarnate, Jesus Christ came and he loved the impossible person to love. He loved us. When Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he's talking about this great exchange, this this reality that says Jesus came and took on our sinfulness and he took away all of our rebellion. He gave us all of his goodness and he took away all of our badness. He did this great exchange that took place and this is the gospel. He did this for our sake. Do you believe that? Do you actually believe that there is a God? Do you actually believe that he has the power to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your sin and to make you righteous? Do you believe that he has the power and the love and the presence to do this? Do you feel like sometimes we read our Bibles and he's not with us? Do you trust that he has the authority to govern us? The outworking of loving other people is a response from a heart that has been transformed by this reality, that we have received this love from God and that we in turn respond to it. And the Lord's love infiltrates all of our lives. When we think about the reality, when we believe it, it infiltrates every aspect, every conversation, every nugget of thought, every action that we do. It will affect our Mondays. This passage will affect your Monday morning, hopefully. And throughout this passage, we've seen that the gospel that Yahweh has given to us is to be remembered. The gospel is to be believed. And to our third and shortest point, the gospel or God's people live out the truth of the gospel. That is the third and shortest point. God's people live out the truth of the gospel. So in verses 9 through 16, we, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you know, the cliff notes is that this passage calls for us to care for the needy, to uphold justice, to guard our tongues against slander, to give generously to people, to be honest with one another. And we have all these calls to external obedience are this picture for the Israelites of their response to the grace that they have been given, that they have been transformed. When God says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, we remember back to this good news. And we are able to live lives now as New Testament believers. This the same gospel of the Old Testament is the same gospel that we now believe that we can be transformed, that by God's grace, we can actually love other people and that we can actually love God. Jesus puts it perfectly in John 14 for us. Let me read this. He says, John 14, starting in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, 
you will keep my commands. The gospel, our call to live lives that exude this love, we don't live lives that are righteous and good in order to receive grace. We respond to grace. We've been given grace. So we turn around and we love like Jesus has loved us. We respond to this good news. We have been shown the greatest love of all time, that Jesus lived the life that we could not live. Jesus died the death that we all deserve to die. And Jesus has made a way for us to love God and to love each other once again. And this is all by his grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I would exhort us brothers and sisters to rehearse this good news often. And I would encourage us to grow in our faith and our trust of this good news of the gospel. I would encourage us and implore us to let this gospel news come out of us, that we were squeezed like a sponge and the gospel pours out of us in every aspect of life. Because as we go throughout this week, from the littlest moments to the most insignificant conversations to the greatest moments and the hardest conversations, the Lord's love infiltrates all of our life. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's so hard to grasp this at times that your love would infiltrate our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give all of us in this room a supernatural realization that you are real, that the gospel is true, and that you would transform our hearts as we read your word. Lord, would you make your church pour out the gospel in all of its life, specifically in the Columbia area for this church? Lord, would you let us remember that it is by your grace you have called us and it is by your grace you sustain us and it is by your grace that we will be with you forever in eternity. And Lord, until that moment, would you make us willing and able to love and to serve you and other people. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.